0: This is Wealth Curve Talk with John L. Smallwood, Certified Financial Planner and President of Smallwood Wealth Management. With more than 30 years of experience in helping people with wealth management, financial planning, business ownership, estate planning, insurance, and more, John's here to share the news you can use to improve your financial confidence. Now, best-selling author and six-time five-star Wealth Manager Award winner, John L. Smallwood so as january goes so does the year and the return of market volatility so as we enter the first month of 2022 we're met with a down six percent in the s p 500 and people are spooked people are concerned is it over and the consistency of returns everybody got used to seeing their account month after month after month after month just go up with very little pullbacks. You know, there was some sideways stuff there. But what I want to talk today about is volatility is part of the game. Trying to predict how the market is going to work doesn't work. Meaning, historically, when you look back, there's some great articles. You can go online, you can find a whole bunch of articles. But that saying, as January goes, so does the year, is sometimes right and sometimes wrong. So what that means is, if the market's negative in January, will it be negative for the rest of the year? Should you sell and go to cash to get out of the way? And a couple good articles out there on the web with some great graphs have brought up that basically 60% of the time, that's 60 six zero 6-0, 60% of the time, the returns from February to December are positive by greater than about 7%. 60% of the time. So that means 40% of the time they're not so which one are you going to take the 60 or the 40 (laughs) my point is you have to step back you have to understand that volatility is part of the overall game investing when we're investing for the long haul there is volatility that is continually here the market is constantly ebbing and flowing but the idea is is your plan balanced correctly and if your plan is balanced correctly not by just asset allocation but by having certain principles in play that's going to provide that volatility buffer that you need and there's different people listening to this podcast right so there's people that are in what i call accumulation mode there are people that are getting ready they're like five years out or five years into retirement and there's people that are long into retirement you know that are concerned about market volatility the last couple of years have been very interesting, right? So we put together a quick download from the February seventh, twenty twenty-two. Actually, today's February seventh, twenty twenty-two, while we're recording it. But we took last Thursday's data from the JP Morgan Guide to Markets, put together a little bundle of a couple charts that I think are pretty valuable that are going to be on the website available for download at this podcast. So if you haven't been to the website, go to smallwood associates.com or smallwoodwealth.com. Go over to the podcast section and find the podcast and you'll see a link to these charts that you can download. The first thing that that I want to talk about is volatility is part of the plan. Meaning if I don't have volatility then I can't get the returns that I want from it. So first chart is annual returns and inter year declines. And this goes back to 1980. 1980 through 2022 data, that's a lot of points, 42 years. So when you look back at this, the chart is showing, and I want you to visualize this for a second. It's showing what was the inter year decline? How far did it go down and where did it end up at the end of the calendar year? So for example, when you're looking at this chart, 1980, at some point during the year, the market was down 17%, but ended up 26%. And when you look at it, there is not a year during this data timeframe where there has not been a down year, somewhere during the part of the year. Meaning every single year, for example, 1981, entry year low was 18%, market ended up down 10%. The following year was down another 17% at one point, but ended up 15%. So the ride that we experience has always been here and what they're talking about despite average inter-year drops of 14 percent annual returns were positive 32 of the 42 years on this chart so it's a 42-year period this has repeated itself for 42 years so to me that's consistent that volatility has been here even in the last year to date right now down five as this chart was produced hit a down 10 inflection point last year was down five at one point, up 27%. In the year of the pandemic, when it started, market was down 34% at one point, ended up 16%. My point of going through this is that, how do I create a financial strategy that takes this into account and realizes that this is going to happen, but if I have the right structure in the plan, I have the right systematic flow of money or the right backup when things go negative, okay, if this is part of the expectation, I look at this as an opportunity, as I should. Because what you start to take a look at is, you start to hear the idea about price to earnings ratios being high, P ratios at all time high, all the big FANG stocks, et cetera, all those terminologies that we hear, we start to see that price to earnings ratios are high and therefore stocks should fall. And the reality of that is, you started seeing a lot of companies come in, miss the earnings, or come out with an expectation that next quarter is not going to be good. And stocks fell pretty hard in a lot of these categories on that news, and they were whipsawing. So when you start to look at the PEs, we have a chart with year to date returns, 10 year annualized returns, since market peak of 2020, and since market low of March 2020, different returns. During that time frame, and then the current PE versus the 20-year average. Current PE as a percentage of the 20-year average, right? So you start to look at it, and it's done by, we all hear this, you know, large cap value, large cap blend, large cap growth, mid cap value, mid cap blend. Here's the bottom line: in the large cap sector, what you saw is the growth side year to date has sold off eight and a half percent, while value is down two point three percent. Now, when you go over to the right hand side and you look at the current PE versus a 20-year PE price to earnings ratio, growth current PE still at 27.5%. The average is 18 and a half. Value, 15, current. 20 year average, 13.7%. So you saw a lot less sell off on the value side of the page, which means somewhere in the middle of those two PE ratios is probably in equilibrium, right? But what I'm starting to see is that a lot of the companies are coming in and lowering expectations. And what that typically means, what I see, I don't have this research study that backs this up, but when I lower my expectations, it becomes easier to hit the forward earnings. And then when those earnings come out, oh, people are excited and the market rises up. Meanwhile, people are retreating because stock market is falling. So these points are typically good points to be buying into. And they're typically part of a long-term strategy. So on the website, we have this guide, right? It's called the Eight Steps to Financial Success Guide. You can download it off the website, smallwoodwealth.com. But I want you to stop and think about this for a second. If my plan... 100% of my money is at risk and a market falls 20, 30, 40%. I'm going to panic because it's always different this time. We always hear it's different this time. Things are different. The dynamics are different, right? And there's a lot of political, geopolitical things out there. And there's a lot of stuff out here that we don't know. But when you look back, you don't know. American funds years ago, they actually put it out all the time. The investment company of america I'm not promoting or anything like that but they have a wonderful chart that has every reason over the last since like 1930 something when the fund was intercepted for the reasons not to invest you know nixon impeached the oil embargo the cuban missile crisis you know a series of things like just consistently going on and on and on and on right i'm looking at the chart in the office it's here but the guide if i follow the principles of a good successful long-term financial strategy. That means principle number three in this, have 50% of your annual expenses in liquid cash reserves. Available money. I talk about it in the book. I talk about it all the time. If I don't have enough buffer, volatility buffer, I don't have enough emergency money. As my grandfather used to say, ready money is Aladdin's lamp. So we all believe the housing market's gonna come down like a rocket ship, but the question is when? But if I have available money, when it does happen, I'm gonna benefit from it. If the stock market falls 50%, the real estate market's probably gonna come down with it. Most likely, right? But if all my money's in that basket of the S&P 500 or the stock market or diversified basket, it's still gonna be down. I need things that are not down in order to capitalize on those opportunities. I also need to make sure that I have that comfort level in what I'm doing. So one of the things that we're looking at is, three and four kind of dovetail together. If I have 25% of my assets invested in permanent, whole life insurance, cash values, available money, it serves as a volatility buffer, it serves as an opportunity fund, it serves as an emergency fund, it serves many different dynamics because those contracts have guarantees that are constantly going up. They can't go down, they're only guaranteed to go up, okay? We're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about that today, but. The combination of those two assets together, you know, two, three and four of the principles really provide that stability, that solid foundation. Step five is I diversify through asset class investing, right? I'm gonna go down that road in a second, but the idea is if I visualize a stack, so I've got a stack of money and it's all invested in the S&P and it goes down 50%, the entire stack goes down by half. So if I have $1,000 and the market falls by 50, I got 500 bucks. But if I took that stack and I said, between the cash and the cash values, I've got two or $300 of that $1,000 invested in that stability asset. Now I've got the rest of it in an asset class, well-diversified strategy. I'm not gonna fall as hard because I have that buffer. I have that stack that's not gonna go down. And that's the confidence factor that I need personally to run through poor economic times. Because what I find is, if you're a business owner you work for a large corporation if things get ugly in the markets your revenues your profits your bonuses your structures usually are a lagging indicator and they're usually following suit right so those three things having that balance not chasing returns not doing these things makes a tremendous amount of sense because when you go to the asset class return chart which this one goes back to 2007 we have data that goes back further but it looks like the periodic table from chemistry, if you remember that. (laughs) Okay, lots of colors. But the idea is, for example, this chart from the download is, what was the best performing asset class of 2007? What was the worst performing? So in 2007, according to the JP Morgan chart, emerging markets equity was the best performing asset class at 39.8% positive. Commodities were number two at 16. The worst performing asset class was real estate investment trusts known as REITs down 15.7%. Now, when I go to the 2008, the following year, well, fixed income was my best performing asset class and emerging markets equity was my worst performing asset class, down 53%. Now, if I sold it in that year, the following year went up 75% and the fixed income was only up 5.9, which was the best performing, which is still pretty darn good, right? But what the chart goes through is it goes through this entire timeframe and certain things end up at the top and then they end up at the bottom, right? So in this period, 2007, eight, nine, REITs were the worst, third from the bottom, middle of the road, and there's a lot of other things that were really good, such as emerging markets. Then you had a period where REITs were the top performing asset class for three years in a row, take a year off, small caps, number one, 14, 15 REITs are there again, and they've been there at the top for a lot of these timeframes. The idea is when you see this chart, What you're going to see is that if I diversify in a balanced way among these asset classes, I end up in the middle of the road, meaning I'm never going to be the best performer and I'm never going to be the worst performer because I've got a diversified portfolio of these things, which means that my volatility is significantly less than buying two or three or four of these asset classes because I've married eight or nine or 15 asset classes together. So when you combine it with the cash, your overall volatility is extremely low. And I think we've all been caught up in what I like to call the rate of return Olympics. We're all chasing yield and we're chasing yield, trying to get the yield, trying to get the return. I was watching a series the other day and they're all talking about the return, the return, the return. But returns sometimes can be misleading. We talk about this a lot, the average versus actual or volatility adjusted returns, right? And I think this is a good point to really hit it just to make people understand what we're talking about. So for a moment, I want you to take a piece of paper out, write down plus 100 and minus 50. Add those two together, which should be 50. Divide by 2 is 25. So the average of those two numbers is 25. So if you put a plus 100% and a minus 50%, you now have an average rate of return of 25%. And that's what a lot of the marketing out there is focused on. Hey, the average rate of return to this investment is 25% over the last two years. What? Wow, I want that, right? And that's what people do. They chase it. But what they don't realize is what was the road? What was the volatility to get me there? And what did I really make if I went through that sequence? Because we always talk about sequence of return. So. If I go over to my Excel spreadsheet and I put in $100,000 investment, average rate of return, 25%, two years, my expectation is I'm gonna have about 156,000 at the end of the first year, excuse me, at the end of the two years. So 100 goes to 125, 125 goes to 156 range. That's math, but the actual or volatility adjusted return is completely different. If you think about it for a second, the $100,000 invested, if you were lucky, you went up 100% first year. 100 was worth 200, and then it fell 50% the following year. You're back down to what? $100,000. So your volatility adjusted return was zero. Now, if you flip the sequence of the returns and you say we start off with a minus 50 and the second year goes up 100, 100 goes down to 50, 50 goes back to 100. Would you have stayed when it was down 50? Probably not, right? So what we see is If I don't have a structured, systematic financial strategy, the volatility is going to take me out of my game. It's going to disrupt my confidence in my long-term vision. My long-term vision is markets are up, business is up, things are moving in the right direction, met with many, many pullbacks, right? little tiny pullbacks, larger pullbacks. If I can mitigate or reduce those pullbacks, I have less to recover. And I want you to think about what I just talked about. If I'm down 50%, I have to make a hundred percent to get back to even if I'm down 10%, I only got to make 11 or 12% to get back to even. So if I'm winning consistently with not big pull downs, I should be okay. So when you think about this rate of return Olympics thing that I'm talking about, right in this stack from JP Morgan, they have the 20 year annual returns by asset class, So they have the REITs, they have the Emerging Markets, Equity, Small Cap, High Yield, S&P, 60-40, 40-60 portfolio, Developed Markets, Equity, International that is, Bonds, Homes, Average Investor, Inflation, Cash, Commodities. So commodities were negative and REITs have a 20-year annualized return of 10%. The S&P in this chart's got 7.5, the 60-40 investor has 6.4, and the 40-60 guys got 5.9. Not that much different. But the average investor, according to Dalbar, has just 2.9%. And inflation for the period was 2.1%. And this is not factoring any impact of taxation. Typically, when you read the studies, I've been reading them for 20 plus years, is that investors chase returns because they don't have a good strategy. And our feeling is, as you create the balance and the right structures in your plan, you're constantly rebalancing, not just the asset allocation in your retirement plan, right? Just to be very granular there for a second, but you're rebalancing your cash. You're, you're replenishing the cash if you use it for an emergency. You're building upon that cash. You're deploying that cash into sideways markets or down markets. You're constantly rebalancing the big picture so that you're taking advantage of these opportunities. So when you think about it, this is super important to your long-term success, right? Is having that confidence because we all know that there's going to be some financial heartbreaks in our future. Markets are going to pull back. Markets are going to go up, down, left, or, or right. But the plan is stay on the plan, okay? There's another chart in that thing called the S&P 500 index at inflection points. And this is a great chart because it's very visual and it shows the market from 1996 all the way through today. So from 96 to March 24th, 2000, the market went up 106%. Then it fell 49% into the hole of October 9th of 2002. And then it rebounded up another 101% till October 9th of 2007, and then fell 57%. Then March 9th, bottom, when the world was over, it was different this time. And some people had this thing called a hockey stick, which is government debt was out of control and markets were going to implode and the country was going to default. And all this stuff that we hear, all this negativity is taking you out of your game. The negativity is taking you out of your game and not having confidence in what you've built. Okay. So then the market rebounded 401% all the way up to February 19th of 2020. But there was a lot of sideways markets in there. There was a lot of pullbacks along the way. Those sideways markets caused problems for retired people. Quantitative easing ended November of 2014. The market was literally sideways all the way to the election in 2016. So I've had a million dollars and I'm withdrawing 4%, 5%, whatever it is, 3.5%, I got a two-year period where I pulled 50, 60, $70,000 out of the portfolio, and the market's now negative. My account balance is now negative, and I'm getting leery because I'm spending down the assets because I don't have the proper principles in play. I don't have the backstops. I don't have the things to reduce the pressure when the pressure gets high. The higher the withdrawal rate, the higher the pressure is. If I don't have something to diffuse that, take the pressure off the other assets in the plan, I'm going to have greater pressure as markets heat up. And that inflection point from February 19th, the market then fell 34%. And in that time frame, we did a podcast where we went over all the headlines. You know, we set a ton of records for most volatility, biggest down days. But one of the things that you saw consistently is workers stopped investing in their 401k plans. People stopped contributing to the market. I'm going to wait till it gets better. And that's the exact opportunity when you want it to go in. Meaning, if I'm buying shares of X, Y, Z, and they cost $10, I buy, you know, 10 shares, right? If they fall to $5, and I still believe in XYZ, I just bought a lot more shares. I bought 20 shares, as opposed to 10 shares. The name of the game of investing, Warren Buffett is fabulously wealthy because he has a lot of shares. The more shares he has, the more valuable they are when they come back. So I'm trying to bring this to a point where, if I get this, and I, make a decision to get out of the rate of return Olympics, create a well-balanced risk adjusted asset allocation strategy for my long-term money, create good systems for my short-term money, create good rules for retirement when the markets are negative. Where do I pull my capital from? Where do I get my income from without running out of money? That's the whole goal is to reduce that volatility and keep pace with inflation. I mean, if you had a good strategy over the last year and your market performance was greater than the five, six, seven, eight 8% than you expected and you made 15 or 20, you had extra money in the bank to take advantage to overcome the inflation hedge. Will it be consistent? Will it continue to go? I doubt it, okay? But my point is, if you have a good strategy with good foundational principles to it, your ability to stay focused and continue to run through this and rebalance and take tax loss harvesting and take advantage of these opportunities and take a look at stuff and say, what I own is not ideal. Let me sell this and buy something different, but not go to cash. Don't stop investing. I mean, people were stopping investing that had jobs. They weren't on the unemployment line. They weren't out of their jobs. They weren't downsized and people just stopped. They halted. They didn't want to get back in because it's going to get worse. It may, but those are the opportunities, right? So one of the things that we do For our clients is to continually update this concept that we call the wealth curve blueprint. And the wealth curve blueprint has a series of principles to it, meaning all the components of your plan, the income, the taxes, the spending, the savings, the balance of assets, the liabilities, the future liabilities, the defense of that plan the life insurance, the disability, the long-term care, the wills to trust, the umbrellas, the future guaranteed income sources or the current guaranteed income sources. These are all really, really important principles and they all have a scorecard that measures each one of those variables based upon the dynamics of the investor and the idea is that if I can create a situation that allows me to understand that I'm on the right track and this pullback that I'm experiencing is not because of outward financial pressure, but it's market volatility and or it's job volatility or business volatility or whatever it is. If I stay on the course and I have the capacity and the backstop to weather some you know pretty long extended period of time without cash, that's why you want the cash in the bank, that 50% of your annual income, that gives you potentially a year, two years, three years of... Nothing, right? For most people, they don't have that. Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes a long time to get here. But it's part of a process and it's creating that plan and having the confidence in that plan to stick to it, update it, review it, revise it, rethink it, argue it, improve upon it, make it better. That's the focus of what we're trying to consistently accomplish. So if you're a client and you haven't had the blueprint done in a while because of stuff happens, let's get together. If you're new to small wealth and you want to get a blueprinting process done you can go to the website and you can schedule what we call a wealth curve conversation let's understand where you are now let's see if we're a good fit and let's see where you are and we go through the blueprint and the scorecard and identify the concerns and the issues and then help you identify strategies and methodologies to reduce the pressure that you have because we all have pressure we all have financial pressure coming in from different spots and different angles the key is are we disciplined enough and are we focused enough to understand that these pressures are actually opportunities? Pressures are opportunities disguised as financial pressure, fear run away, but the realities attack them. This is something I think is really, really important that everybody do on a regular basis. Some people should do it more often. Some people should do it at least once a year, but somewhere in between more often and once a year is really important, right? It depends on the complexity of the plan and how much is changing. The more that's changing, the more often that you want to do it the more consistent you are in your plan and the better you are at budgeting and keeping true to your plan, the better off that you're gonna be. So as January goes, don't think too much about it, stay the course. As volatility's here, it's always been here. Volatility comes in both ways, ups and downs. Secondly, thirdly, I want you to realize that what your money has to do to achieve the goals that you and your family have set, you and your spouse have set, you have set individually. And if you develop the right plan, the return on the money is less important than the strategy. The return comes because you have the money exposed and you're allocated to the right areas. And returns will come very quickly. They'll come quickly. And you look back at some of those early periods and you can look at this in a lot of data and see, hey, the return came two months out of this calendar year. You think about the 94 into 1995, 94 was a negative year for bonds and stocks as I recall, but I know the return for the 95 was pretty high and the majority of that return came by April and it shocked a lot of people. And then the return was kind of slow for the rest of the year and then boom, it was another big year, right? So my point is build a plan, stick to the plan, revise the plan, rethink the plan, get the swing right in your plan, then go and pick really good products to support it, but focus on the swing. If you watch the PGA Tour, you watch, you know, the Olympics, one of the best skiers, gate three, sat down, slid out, icy. What a heartbreak for her. Michaela Shaver, one of the best skiers out there, period. She has the best skis that money can buy. She has the best technique that can buy. She slipped and fell. She'll come back harder, stronger, better, and win. But the idea is, it didn't matter what ski she was skiing, her aggressiveness, And her positioning of her stance at that moment was not necessarily where she wanted to be. I'm sure she's gone through all of the tape to see exactly what happened, but it doesn't matter because you can't change it, but you can only go forward. So I look forward to communicating with you, talking to you. We have a podcast that you're listening to. You can subscribe to it. You can share it. We have webinars, we're working on a new Wealth Curve conversation, webinars that will be open to a lot more people at the same time, so much more of a collaborative issue. Ed has his podcast, Jumping the Wealth Curve. Um, We're working on a couple new things, but the idea is that we wanna give you as much information in as many formats as you possibly can. We have the book, It's Your Wealth Keep It, Amazon bestseller, number one in retirement planning, number two in wealth management. Um, That book is available. If you're new to Smallwood Wealth and you book an introductory Wealth Curve conversation call and you keep the session, we'll send you an autographed copy of It's Your Wealth Keep It. So in closing, the fourth closing of this podcast, stick to the plan, but make sure you have a good plan. If I'm following a crappy plan, I need to get off of it. Create a great plan, revise that plan, rethink the plan, go forward, have it principle based. Thank you. It's your wealth. Keep it. The best selling book by John L. Smallwood. The definitive guide to growing, protecting, enjoying, and passing on your wealth. Find it on Amazon now or go to smallwoodwealth.com for more retirement resources.
1: Curve Talk with John L. Smallwood is brought to you by Smallwood Wealth Management, an investment advisor representative. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment legal or tax professional before taking any action as information and or opinions. Are are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, misleading or defamatory statements.